Hey everyone, I know we usually use this part of the podcast for a, a main spoiler, but I just need to make an announcement. Um, we're going to be shutting down the feed on Tuesdays and Thursdays to let Spoiler Man spend some time outside. <laughs> so without further delay, here's Ready Player One. That was good. This is Spoiler. Spoiler Man. What? Teller on the podcast, two potentially opposing viewpoints of this Steven Spielberg uh, blockbuster. I guess Classic. you could call it. Classic. Classic. Yeah, big budget, <laughs> big budget Spielberg. Yeah, YA adoption. I'm on, I'm on uh, Parzival's side here. I'm willing to fight for the Oasis. <laughs> Let's. Well, I guess. Yeah, we don't really need to introduce the movie. I think if you're listening to it at this point, you know kind of the general outline. You got Wade Watts. He's in a video game. He's got to find some keys. To win over the Oasis, Pat, you've read the book, so we'll give you the the floor to beginning. What'd you think of Ready Player One? Oh man, I love this movie. I know Mikey didn't, but uh, I'll first off I'll say it's very very different from the book. But for me, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I like both of them for what they are. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's super fun. It, it reminded me of that old school Spielberg magic. It, it's just like it's a good reminder of why I love going to the movies. Did you have a favorite intellectual property that you saw on the screen? Was there something that you're like, oh, Ooh, I was I was gonna save that. Okay. I was gonna save that question for the end. All right, but so let me think about well, it. Well, yeah, let you think about that, and then on the counterpoint, we have the man who hates everything. <laughs> you know him, you love him, Mikey Tiller. What do you think about Ready Player One? Uh, I mean, I didn't read the books or anything, so I don't. I want Pat to like explain. I guess the plot of both. I would like to know which one he thought is better because I did. Don't not worry, understand. I took a whole bunch of notes of just the differences. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, because I, when I got out of this movie, I was like so, I was like so fucking drunk on like two and a half hours of what the fuck did I just watch? Because it was like seizure and <laughs> CGI for two and a half hours, and I I came out of there confused as what I just saw. Uh, it looked cool, but I. I thought the story was garbage. Man, you got Honestly. that right. It's it's a damn long movie. Two and a half hours. It is long. It is long. Yeah, for a while. Which is like almost standard for any movie now, which is a little ridiculous. A little bit, yeah. I was getting kind of bored. I saw it in IMAX, but it didn't have like those reclining seats. So as cool as the screen was, I was like, damn, I wish I could like lay down right now and take a nap or something. <laughs> See, I'm like, I'm hit or miss on those. I actually saw it, I saw it last night again, and we had the recliner seats, and that was the first time... I haven't like almost fell asleep because like I get too comfy in those and then I just pass out. But maybe that's an attest to the movie. 
Well, that's the thing. But I'm also a big fan, so. I'll say this about the recliner seats, too, is that what makes them nice is you can get up real close to the screen in those, and it doesn't really matter. Like, you could basically sit mm-hmm. second row in any movie theater in a recliner seat and kind of be okay. Like, you might have to, like, look around at the edges, but yeah. we're getting off topic a little bit. You might miss a couple of intellectual properties if you sit that close. But Ready Player One, let's break it down like this. Let's get into it. There's three main set pieces, and for each of those set pieces, our protagonist wade watts gets a key and he's trying to unlock the three keys to get the easter egg to take control of the video game world that this film is set in so it's about 80 percent cgi in the video game world i'd say 20 percent in the real world um and that first main set piece pat i think you even like messaged me about this you said man yeah see it in imax for this scene alone the race scene um so what we get in the movie, what we get in the movie is it's like a literal race where you gotta like drive your car down a track, um, and there's like all these like monsters that you've seen before in it. What what did you think about that? And is it the same as in the book? Different than the book? Um, so that was probably my favorite scene of the whole movie, just because. And somebody mentioned it to me uh, afterwards. Like the reason why it's so intense is because there was absolutely no music once the race kicked off. And I loved that. That's a good just point. Just the hearing, hearing all the just the engine sounds and the crashing of the cars, and then that one part where they go under the bridge and the subway comes at them. You can hear just like the screeching of the rails and everything. Like, and then when King Kong's just tracking him down, that was so like, especially seeing it in IMAX is so loud and so intense. But comparing it to the book, like I, we kind of talked about it right before we started recording. Um, Almost all three of the challenges that he has to do, that the avatars have to do to get the keys in the movie are completely different from the book. In the book, the first challenge is he actually has to play the old school arcade game Joust against this giant, uh, like, undead king from a Dungeons and Dragons, um, whatever module. And then after he beats him, he actually has to go to James Halliday's old school home, which you end up seeing at the at the end of the movie. And he actually has to play through the movie War Games. And he actually has to act out all of Matthew Broderick's characters, like moves and lines and all that <laughs> shit. So he has to play through a full two-hour movie. Then he gets the first key. So it's as you can see, it's completely different. Which I, 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 I kind of understand why they did it, because like, It'd be weird. I don't know if they could couldn't get the properties to war games or something like that, but it, it does make it more like accessible to anybody and just like a fun action scene instead. But I don't know. I was kind of looking forward to seeing the the undead king, um, a Sarah Rack, and him playing joust against him. But I was okay with the with the swap. Man, I guess I can see it because like Spielberg's probably like, we got a two hour movie already. If we put a two hour movie inside a two hour movie, we got <laughs> we got a Gone with the Wind right now. Uh, Mikey, okay, I like the race. I like the way it looks. I thought it actually was a pretty exciting start to the movie. I mean, you do have like fifteen minutes of exposition at the beginning of the movie, which is necessary a hundred percent necessary but it also gets a little bit boring yeah it's still a lot and then we but we get to the race and like mikey for me the reason that i thought this was bullshit is we used to play a shit ton of racing games together burnout in particular and then the first fucking Mm -hmm. shit you do is you drive the car backwards to wreck into other cars that's like the first thing you try (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about the race scene mikey 
Uh, I agree with Pat. I thought it was the strongest uh, trial of the movie, at least, if not the best scene. Um, I mean, they kind of sucked me in because he's he's driving the Back to the Future car, and it looks amazing because God, it, was incredible. it looks like it's Ugh. brand new or whatever. I don't know. It's all CGI, but it looks like it's brand new. And the... What, what, what was the chick's name? She was driving the bike from Artemis. the anime Akira. Artemis. Yeah, and it Artemis was with fucking badass. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's got all the stuff that I already like in it. I like Akira and I like Back to the Future. And they had the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and stuff like that. So, it was a pretty strong scene. But, yeah, like Pap said, right off the bat, we get, what, 15, 20 minutes of exposition. So... And it's like me jumping into a story I have absolutely nothing about, know nothing about, because I went into this completely blind at, to the story. That's what's hard about the whole like exposition thing, because yeah, there he literally has to set up an entire, yeah, not just one world, two, like a future dystopian world where the, everything sucks, mm-hmm. but he also has to set up this entire virtual world where you can literally do anything, and it's it's like. How do you do that without literally just a voiceover? And th- or it's going to take half the movie for them to show everything. You know. I think the thing that I hated most about the beginning exposition was he said mankind had just like given up on solving the world's problems. So then they had, everybody had just invested all their free time into hunting these Easter eggs. They had just completely given up on Earth. So they're just all out. On trying to get money, it seemed like a waste of time. See, like, it, yeah, in the book, it, in the book, it makes it seem like it's more just like there's like a section of the population that that is obsessed with it, and then like the world just kind of keeps going on mm-hmm. until like the shit starts going down and they start finding the keys. But yeah, I, I understand that. See, that makes more sense in the book. In the movie, everyone's just like, "Fuck it, we're giving up on our lives. We're all gonna move to Columbus, Ohio. Every single person in the world." That's another. That's another small difference. Uh, in the book, he actually lives in Oklahoma City, and the stacks are in Oklahoma City. But he doesn't move to Columbus until after they blow the stacks up, and he like, I'll just brush over it real quick. He like goes and gets a new identity and like a fake identity and he moves to Columbus and I'll explain more later because it kind of connects with a different part of the movie but yeah yeah so but like the scenes in the stacks which are just kind of like trailers stacked on top of each other and kind of like a tenement looking type thing uh uh ghetto slum type you know rough neighborhood but uh do we lose Mikey there yeah, we lost Mikey so. there. All right, that's cool. Mikey will join back in. But yeah, so the stacks are like these slum tenement type things. Uh, but man, the way that it's shot, it's just boring. And I get why he did that. Like, But every time they're in the stacks, I just want to get back to the Oasis. You know what I mean? Like, Right. I think that was that was part of it too. Like, The world's supposed to be shit. So it's kind of like and everybody legit wants to spend their time in this virtual world. So I think that was part of it too because it, it makes – the audience i know i've read some reviews where like a lot of people were interested in in the real world stuff but i was one of the few or like one of the ones that was like all right give me back to the oasis like i want to see this i haven't been that invested in like cgi stuff since 
probably Avatar or seeing Avatar in theaters at least. Yeah, exactly. I'm usually the opposite. Like usually CGI stuff just like gives me a headache, and I'm like, I want exactly. some real stuff. But it is the complete opposite. Like every time we're in the the stacks or in Columbus, Ohio, it's like this this shit's kind of boring. <laughs> I want to get back to the the race and stuff. But right, yeah, we'll see if uh see if Mikey might join back in or not. He might be in the Oasis right now uh, himself. Little <laughs> <laughs> game, but yeah, so. I think that we should also explain why in 2045 everyone's into 80s pop culture. And that's because in order to solve the riddle that uh, James Halliday threw out there, they had the players of the future game had to sort of unlock his psyche. And he was this ultimate like 80s nerd. He's into like all of the main intellectual properties from the 80s, like your Star Treks, your video games or everything like that and apparently also the shining uh which was a 1980 movie um but this scene was pretty different than the book too right do you want to explain real quick what happens in the book in this part so in the book the second challenge is has nothing to do with um with the movie i believe i'm i believe the second challenge is he has to do something with the band Rush. He has to like uh-huh. perform a guitar solo from one of the the really long songs in one of their albums, and then uh, then he ends up playing a an old, another old school arcade game that's in like um, Anorak's like office or something, and and it becomes like a big three D version of the game instead of like you know the two two D Atari style. But yeah, so it literally has nothing to do with the shiny. I think possibly the reason they did that is they kind of threw that there in there instead of like the whole war games simulation. Cause it's similar. Like they go into an actual movie instead of actually like performing everything from the movie. They just kind of got to figure stuff out in there. But yeah, I thought it was really cool how, how they, they basically recreated the overlook and just put the avatars right in there. Not, they didn't make the overlook look CGI at all. It looked like it was straight out of the movie. I thought that was like, very creative mm-hmm. very cool the whole every i've seen it three times and every time the theater the crowd is just like you can tell like kind of the air just goes out of the room once you they go into that first room and that first shot them walking mm-hmm. down the stairs just is like oh my gosh this is so cool yeah the big shining yeah, the, the theme yeah. <laughs> yeah that part was really solid to me and i think that like because i'm trying to like <laughs> this movie is is a head scratcher for me in a couple of ways um, mostly because I I still understand why Steven Spielberg did this movie. I mean, I do on a couple I levels. Either. I do on a couple levels. I mean, because they do they praise they praise Stephen King or Stephen King, Steven Spielberg a lot like in the book. Cause, mm-hmm. I mean, he he he's created Jaws and all these like E.T. all these quintessential like eighties adventure movies and exactly, yeah. pop culture and geek movies. So it's like I understand why he like people would want him to direct it but like yeah i don't i don't know what he specifically saw that was so appealing but i mean i'm, I'm glad he did it i mean but. you gotta think he's gotta have like this team of people who are like reading these ya books because steven spielberg's not reading the hunger games or harry potter trying to figure out you know what his next movie is right, going to right, be right, someone's right. probably like hey this kind of reminds me of you but i really see this shining sequence as like probably his contribution to the film as far as like I, an yeah, idea yeah. like and he's been known to like fuck with cubic properties before like the whole ai yeah, thing yeah, I've, i heard some yeah i heard something about that too yeah so <laughs> yeah that was like an unfinished cubic film that he ended up finishing so it's like steven spielberg loves 
fucking with Dead Stanley Kubrick's properties, but yeah, I watched. Do you know you watch Jeremy Johns on YouTube? I do. I didn't see his review of this though. No, I watched his review and he was basically like, "Dude, that scene was just cookie cutter platter, straight for the critics." Like mm. he was, and they did like an impression of the critics, like Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Like how dare they? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, yeah, I I think that was a pretty good scene, and then. I thought the gag at the end of that scene where the, um, what is it, IOI? Is that the name of the evil company? Yeah. yeah. Where those guys go in and we get that shot of all of them freaking out. Like, that made me laugh. That was great. And I got a big laugh. That was great. Too, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say high marks And then, that. yeah, just the whole part of, of H not realizing or not really seeing it and not knowing it's a scary movie and then following the little girls and, like, mm-hmm going right up to the elevator door like everybody in the theater knows that all the blood's gonna come out and with the old lady and slash the hot naked lady that was so funny i'll say i'll say this though is that that scene maybe could have been paced a little bit better because like like yeah a little bit like you were saying like when h goes in there like the first time like he goes into room 237 and the door closes behind them and then you see the number big laugh every time but then they go oh, yeah. back into room 237. He's like, oh, I don't know if we should go back. And you know what I mean? Like, you only need to do the joke once to me. Yeah, for right. Me. But I think that kind of. I was I was really hoping to see a shot of, of like a Jack Nicholson shot. Because like they show his legs like when he's chasing him through the, the the maze. But I was hoping just to see like a little quick glimpse. Can you guys hear me? Oh, oh. Oh, money's oh back gosh. from the Oasis. Yeah, I'm back, I'm back. What? All right, you guys, yeah, you guys done re- with the podcast? Jeez, my bad. He zeroed out and he responded. You got an extra life. I'm back. No, 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 we just got done talking about the shining part. You got any thoughts on that, Money? Is he back? Is he back? Mikey. So then that brings us to the third set piece that we got. The, the kind of final battle. Um... So this is in a castle from Dune, I think it is in the movie. And no, it's uh, it's it's this uh, I don't know what if the castle like that they picked was supposed to be based off something, but it's it's supposed to be like uh, James Halliday's uh, Avatar Anorak. It's supposed to be his castle, but it's just like on that like planet Doom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, in the book, it's on a completely different planet, but that I mean. They just did that because they talked about that planet earlier in the movie. But. And this is kind of like just this whole scene is just the Spielberg wet dream of a sequence. Just a freaking all out visual assault. Almost like George Lucas in the prequels esque. So dense. So much to look at. Like tons of characters. Right. Tons of shit going on. Stuff flying everywhere. And then the whole, the whole idea is they got to pick the right video game. And then not beat it, but do like a secret Easter egg within that video game. Right. Um, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. Was that's the only part of the the three challenges in the movie that is the same from the book is the fact that the last game is adventure, and it's it is about the guy who created the first Easter egg in a video game, and that's how they actually win. Mm-hmm. But that's the only part of the three challenges in the movie that is the same from the book. And then does the book have that stuff at the end where they're like, they they beat it and they go in and then it's kind of like a, it's almost like I a Wonka mystery. Can you oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you sound like a robot. I can hear you, but you, yeah, you're lagging hard. Yeah. Can you hear us? That's the most important thing. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. 
right. Well, all right. Now you sound normal. Yeah. What do right, you think cool. about the shining scene, Mikey? The shining scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know a lot of people hate it because it like ripped a uh, classic just scene and setting from the shining but see that's i've heard everybody loved that scene yeah i thought it was kind of cool honestly uh i've only seen the shining like once because it's fucking terrifying so i'm like not (laughs) so attached to the scene but i thought it looked pretty cool that might be a movie that might be kind of cool to get remade because that building is still like exactly the same and it looked Eventually they will. Yeah, it looked pretty awesome to me. So, I can't complain about that. One more thing I want to say about the shining scene, then we'll get on to like the last battle. But like, I was surprised in that whole course of that scene. Like, I was wondering like, what are they gonna be able to show? What are they not gonna be able to show? Like, they show like the old naked lady, but they don't show her like anything like R-rated. Like, they barely cover that up. And then they go like pretty much all out with the blood in the elevator scene which is one of the most yeah that was intense that's one of the most graphic sequences from the movie i mean like they, they go to all the most graphic sequences in the movie like i can't believe they had that blood gushing in a pg-13 movie <laughs> and the fact that it, it wasn't just that scene too it just kept like it kept going like they were stuck in their h was stuck in the blood like floating around like <laughs> that was cool yeah i guess it's because it's the oasis and because it's uh, directed by a guy named steven spielberg they're just gonna rate it whatever they, <laughs> the way he tells them to <laughs> but yeah so and then mikey we were just talking a little bit about the final battle and then it's kind of a an all-out george lucas assault on the senses like so dense <laughs> so much going on in every frame what did you think about the final battle this is where things get like kind of tough, like CGI wise, because a battle is super hard to do because it just looks like a thousand tiny things running all over the screen if it's not very good. And I think it looked, I mean, there's like so many different characters and stuff. They're all different sizes that it looked good enough. It didn't all look like one jumbled mess. But I think this scene had the coolest scene in the whole movie is like the Gundam flying and then swings his sword out. And it like goes shing or whatever. And that that part was, was like so amazing. Cool. Uh, so they should totally make like a whole Gundam movie because that would be badass. But uh, I think it, the whole battle scene it didn't look terrible because I mean if it looks bad it just looks like a thousand gray dots running all over a screen. So everything was kind of recognizable to me. At least. Yeah, I want to know like if this is new technology that they were using for this movie or what? Cause yeah, the CGI was amazing. And the budget was like 175 million. So they were going all out for, I mean, I don't even know how, like, how much dude, of that was all right, all right, all right. rights to stuff. So that, that, that scene where, uh, they, they like fake out Sorrento and he, he's still in the Oasis, but he thinks that he's not. And they like have him held up with guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I knew something was up. Cause like, Ty Sheridan or, or Wade, like his face looked so weird, and it reminded me of Justice League. I was like, "Yo, his <laughs> face looks like like Superman," but like it was supposed to look bad. It was like I was uh, just laughing so hard because I was like, "Man, Justice League," and that when you said the budget, uh, that makes me so laugh uh, even harder just because like they had a three hundred million dollar budget and they couldn't even fix that. Ty like, Sheridan's got to grow a mustache for the new X Men movie, and they weren't gonna let him <laughs> do this the hard way, but. But uh, yeah, uh, I was reading uh, Letterbox reviews, uh, just talking about that final battle, and, and there was one one woman I don't even know her name, 
her username. She wrote a half star review. And the only thing she wrote was like in the iron giant, he says, I am not a gun. And this movie literally makes him a gun. <laughs> and that's all she wrote. I am not a gun. <laughs> so I can see how like people might get a little bit butthurt if their intellectual properties were, were not. But at the liking. same time, like, it's not, it's not the iron giant. It's somebody controlling a thing that it looks like the iron giant, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, I understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, it's like, come on. Yeah. Well, like, Get over the yourself. thing with the rules of the universe, how is she just building an Iron Giant? Everybody was paying for stuff with this internet money, See, and she was just building this massive weapon? Well, yeah, I, th- I think uh, they, they don't really mention that in the book either, I don't think. But um, what I got from it is that she builds stuff for other people gets paid for it mm. and that's how she was doing it but also did you get were you surprised by the reveal that h is a chick mm. uh, or did the voice kind of give it away i knew the voice like, when I went, from master of none the voice kind of gave it away but at the same time they also in, like had her on promotional posters like with her avatar i was like that's fucking lame also she's like way older than all of those kids she's like an adult She's, she's on Master of None, like, she's Aziz's best friend on Master of None. She's, like, right, way older. I just thought it was kind of funny, but... So, so to go back to that whole, like, Wade uh, moving to Columbus later in the book, that kind of leads into the third key slash the final battle. Because in the book, instead of Artemis going into a loyalty center, it's actually Wade. So when when he moves to Columbus and sets up this new identity, he like racks up all this debt on purpose and his plan is legit to get himself indentured and go into the like one of these loyalty centers and basically get himself in there so he can hack away like he hacks into the computer and then eventually luckily he's AF, yeah, if this doesn't work, I'm gonna be in prison for life basically. But he like hacks it so where the shield that's around the whole castle, it's gonna drop like at a certain time on a certain day. So he gives himself like a, like forty eight hours or something to go like send out that big message through the oasis and build the army. But yeah, I thought that was like I was worried about that too because like from the trailers, you could tell the movie's gonna be way different. And I was like, they better have that scene where he like goes into IOI and is like behind enemy lines essentially. I'm glad they put it in there, but I kind of wish it would have been Wade. I think it would have been a little bit cooler. Mm. I understand why. They needed Parsifal. Like, he's the star. Like, he needs to be in the forefront. He can't be, like, essentially in jail, you know? Right, yeah. And that's, that plot that you were saying is going to take more time. going to make things a little bit more complicated, too. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is just, like, it's tough to get in those three different challenges and set up the world and have a satisfying conclusion, which, Mikey, all right, let's... Let's try and decipher between me and Mikey what we think happened at the end, and then we'll let Pat explain it to us. Like, from from what I can understand, Simon Pegg was a robot. I don't know, like, what he has. This to, is gonna blow your mind how different it is when I tell you. What he has to do with anything, uh, but Simon Pegg's a robot, and he was somehow involved in the creation of the Oasis and's been watching over them the whole time, and then he just kind of like shows up at the end uh money is there anything else that i'm missing like i was so confused by his appearance so simon Pegg 
was he try was he upset that he didn't get like part of this company when uh, what's his face died is that he helped wade out but he was also uh kind of upset with him throughout the flashbacks that they were looking at it's 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 hard for me to try to explain this to you because literally like none of this happens in the book none of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he's not like i was telling drew or uh pap sorry if i ruined your uh your incognito (laughs) persona um spoiler man (laughs) what the ruse is up um in the book uh well first off in the book none of the avatars like like he does literally the how, how the book ends is he meets artemis face to face and they like talk for the first time in person that's literally the very end he's like for the first time i didn't feel the need to go into the oasis you know kind of lame but so yeah he doesn't meet her until the very very end um and then throughout the book um ogden morrow who's simon pegg's character gets mentioned as like he also has a very powerful avatar just like halliday and anorak but he doesn't really hang around he kind of like sticks to the shadows and and basically james halliday made him promise to like help keep the integrity of the game so basically he's there to make sure ioi doesn't win and mm-hmm. do all the bullshit mm-hmm. but in the book, the party scene, see, it, it's like branches down to everything from the movie. In the book, the party scene where him and Artemis go to the club and they go dance and shit, that's actually supposed to be Ogden Morrow's, like, birthday party, <laughs> like, for his avatar's birthday party. So it's supposed to be this big, like, prestigious event, and them two get invited because they're, like, the first two on the scoreboard. And then the IOI comes and shoots them up. And so, yeah, like, Ogden Morrow plays a way bigger role. And in the end, like, I feel like I'm just talking my ass off, but no, there's so much different. Yeah. In the end, like, he invites, like, Do- or Daito, or actually, that's, Daito dies in the book. He, he before the, even the final battle, he gets thrown off of a roof by, like, in real life that's... by IOI. They break into his fucking apartment and they, they throw him off the roof. Because they're basically planning on killing all, like, the book's a little bit darker than the movie, obviously. Um... What, so, what was IOI trying to do with the Oasis besides make a boatload of money? Were they trying to, like, destroy it or trying to monetize it? I mean, more, basically, or? yeah, they're just basically trying to, to use it to make money. Because, like, that's obviously the biggest... Like, he says it in the one one shot. He's like, this is what you had planned with the the world's greatest uh, economic investment or, or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think they just want to, like, you know, make it corporate bullshit you know well, in the book too like the oasis is more important right like they got like schools and shit in the oasis like, yeah, it's yeah more literally like wade wade goes yeah. wade goes to school in the oasis like that's that's how he goes to school but, oh see that that makes a little more sense because i just assumed they were using it for like entertainment and jerking around no 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 like that that one scene um where where he's talking to where sorrento has like kind of like the uh um, what's it called? Where he invites Parzival into his office, but it's just like the avatar in there, and he's kind of like he has the guy feeding the, the pop culture references in his ear. The like he mentions a planet, and he, yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, I would love to turn all the schools on Ludus into recreations of like the Ferris Bueller school and all that shit. Yeah, so like he, that's the only mention of that planet 
like Ludus. That's where like all the kids go to school. It's like just a planet on the oasis full of high schools. Yeah, but you don't get that from the movie at all. And then yeah. in the movie, it's like yeah, like Hold on, I'm gonna get my computer charger. Keep going. Just a, is it just like a game or like a movie or like a a game or like a fun? You thing? like, like it? Yeah, like it doesn't have too much real big influence if it's owned by IOI or not. Like it was just a game or just a form of entertainment, not like well, educational or anything like that. Well, at the club that Pat was talking about, like fucking the one girl like rubs up on his wiener and she's like i hope you have the wiener suit on or something and it like gets all red down there and stuff it's fucking i was like what movie am i watching right now that's like some rated r her shit right there yeah that was kind of weird i was like what is this <laughs> heard in the book that he's like banging virtual chicks left and right isn't he yeah there is this well what there's a there's a part in the book where yeah like he like basically when he moves to his columbus thing he like he stopped being friends with age. He like fucks up with Artemis. They like, so you guys get super depressed. And yeah, he, there's a little part where he talks about like he was spending time at like an online brothel for a while. And then he basically was like, yeah, this is like glorified masturbation. So now I just jerk it the, the usual way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. <laughs> okay, that brings me up to one last question I have too, before we get to like who your favorite characters were and all that stuff. Yes or no. But who is this movie for? Like, what what is the target demographic? I get that you like liked it and stuff, Pat, but you also read the book too. Like, exactly. It feels like it's kind of teetering. Like, is it just like a for tweens? Like, you know what I mean? Like, thirteen year old. But like, some of the stuff. Like, I feel like the video game stuff is not like grown ups. Like, old men won't get it. But like, all of the references are eighties based. So I don't know if like millennials are like that into. Well, you know what I mean? 80s stuff? Like, yeah, who is this for? I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> it's not for Mikey. It's for Pat. It was made I specifically know, for I've Pat. I've talked to a lot of people, like a lot of different people. Or like I've gone to see it with different people, and everybody that I've seen it with hasn't read the book, and they've enjoyed it. But at the same time, I haven't really gotten into it with them, like why mm-hmm. they enjoyed it. But but yeah, I don't know, I don't, I don't know who the target market is. It's an interesting choice. So, yeah, I mean, you guys got anything else before we uh, give our yes or no's? I'll let Mikey go because I got I got some a few more things. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know I shit on this movie a whole bunch because I think the writing is really bad. But yeah, there were some so, so, lines for so, sure. some scenes like look really amazing though. Uh, and then other scenes I think don't look so great because it is. This movie is like 80% CGI, so it's not going to be uh, 100% hit rate on that. But the chase scene and like that Gundam thing flying around looked dope. So I hope that like inspires them to kind of like run with some of these ideas. Like, oh, like Gundam would be a really cool movie to reboot or I don't know. Right. Like maybe like, they were talking about Back to the Future rebooting sometime a couple years ago. And it's like, wow, that actually does look pretty cool when you throw a cgi delorean into the mix like you can do a lot of stuff with that so but at the same time i I think people would be more pissed about a back to the future remake than like just seeing it in this you know well unless it's like incredible (laughs) i'm more pissed about this because it's like you're just mashing all these things that were already good before and trying to write a new story out of mashing this stuff together when you could have just I know we reboot everything now, but you could have just rebooted Back to the Future or 
done Gundam or they had TMNT was already rebooted. They had all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I wish they wouldn't have picked those those Ninja Turtles. They should have picked like the yeah, cartoony looking ones. ones. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like a lazy way to write a movie is by mashing a bunch of IP from already well-established good movies or fun properties and then trying to trying to like wrangle them all together to make a semi-coherent storyline out of pop culture stuff it just seemed kind of really forced to me all right pat what you got oh man where did no i'm just kidding (laughs) um just a few more things um i really did like that scene at the end where where like Ogden Morrow revealed that he was a curator and he tosses him the quarter. Everybody in the theater was like, well, first of all, everybody in the theater, when he brings out the quarter and sees it as an extra life was like, Oh my God. Like that like blew everybody's mind. <laughs> I was like, at that point, and I was like, see, when he I, flipped him the coin, I was at that point, I was like, I got a piece so fucking bad. Just give him the coin. Don't give him the coin. I don't <laughs> care anymore. And this fucking movie. But I loved that scene where was because like, you could tell like, like, Simon Pegg, I, I loved his performance right at the end, just because, like, you could tell, like, even though him and Halliday had a falling out and stuff, like, they were still best friends, and, like, he, you could tell, like, they, he missed his friend, and and the fact that the end of the game actually was, like, like it's like he regretted, like, losing you and, and like, pushing you out. Like, I thought that was cool. But, um, like, in the book, he gets the, quarter, the extra left quarter from when he, playing a perfect game of Pac-Man instead um let's see artemis and parzival the relationship in the movie i felt like when he says i love you i felt like a lot of like the normal audience would probably think that's really weird and rushed but like in the book they explain that how she has like a really popular blog and that he's been reading this shit and following her like basically following her on social media for like three years and he's got like the biggest crush on her so it's like it makes sense when he finally meets her that he would fall for her right away but like in the movie, you don't really get that vibe. Mm-hmm. You don't get the backstory. You just get that real quick, like, holy shit, do you see who it is? Like, I've watched all her Twitch streams, all this stuff. And, uh, uh I rock the TJ Miller role, mm. which was super random. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that character, I rock literally has like the smallest role in the book. He, he, he's like a student that goes to school on Ludus with H, I think. So, like, he's, he goes into the chat room with him and Parzival every once in a while, but, like, he's kind of known as, like, a guy who thinks he knows all that and, like, thinks he knows all that shit, but he he doesn't know nearly as much as, like, Wade and them. But basically, he's, all he is in the book is, like, he just find, like, lets the IOI know that H and Parzival know each other, and that's, like, the last he's in the book. He has, like, no role. That's why I was very surprised when he was, like, basically Sorrento's, like, right-hand man inside the oasis so you're saying spielberg but, never read the book i promise you. probably <laughs> but but at the same time it's like ernest klein ernest klein the author of the book co-wrote the script so it's like all these changes oh. were obviously okay and like he, yeah. he co-wrote it which i mean i don't know if that's a good or bad thing since the writing is eh. but i'll just wrap it up because there's still more i can say but i wish sorrento was a little more like evil Ben Mendelsohn's character, he was a little more like, like maniacal in in the book and like just like didn't give a fuck. 
Dude, yeah, the, the ba- whole part about Ben this- Mendelsohn in this movie, he's almost like the bad guy from RoboCop. Like he's so over the top. <laughs> I was like, is this supposed to be like and, a satire? And his fucking little yeah. the henchman girl that he sent everywhere. Yeah. She was the worst. She reminded me like she should have she should have been in like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal. She was Skull. straight like Natasha. Like, like, she was so over the top. Natasha, yeah. bad girl. Look, it was so ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, did I you, mean, did I, you say your favorite scene? I thought it was Pat? No, I well, I think the car chase was my favorite scene. But that or or the shining scene is great. But I don't know. Overall, I I, I loved it. I'll, I'll see it again probably. But and like I, I I saw you talking shit on Twitter, Money Mike, and I was like, <laughs> hey man. We've had this conversation before. Not move, every movie has to be the best movie ever made. Right. So, yeah, that's, so that's it's very it's true. not. It's clearly not. But yeah. it's there's. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think it's and it's a fun family movie. That's that's what the changes that they made. Is it a family movie? The most. It, I mean, it can be. I, I feel like there's something for everyone in the family, but that means there's also something that's specifically not for everyone in the family. <laughs> like you know what I mean, like. I guess when I mean family movie, I guess I mean it. Like I said earlier, it kind of it reminded me of like when I say this, like don't think I'm comparing it to Jurassic Park, but like it felt it reminded me of like when I watched Jurassic Park, like like it's just like a big, like epic kind of like roller coaster ride where it's just it's it's a movie that's made to see in theaters. Like I was telling some of my friends they need to go see it, and they're like, yeah, I'll wait, and I'm like, dude, like. Like that race, the chase scene, and and the last like big action sequence—they're they're not the same on the small screen. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I would have absolutely hated watching this at home. This would have, yeah, really like the, like that car scene is literally worth it to see it in the big screen. But yeah, I don't know. I just think it's it's a classic Spielberg fun movie, and I I, I recommend it for sure. Cool. So uh, yeah, last thing I want to ask you guys: give your yes or no, and then. Uh, if you do have anything anything left on on yes or no, and then uh, who is your favorite? Yes or no, and your favorite. Yeah, yeah who is your favorite? Favorite property. IP. I'll go ahead and kick things off. Um, Grandpa Spielberg is an interesting character in the history of film. He's always been this guy who does like the one for you, one for me type thing. And, and Pat, you brought up Jurassic Park, which I think is actually a really good comparison because in 1993 Spielberg had Jurassic Park. But he also had Schindler's, Schindler's List. List, yeah. And so he kind of did a similar thing now where he had the post in December, and like four months later he had Ready Player One, his, mm-hmm. his tentpole uh, big property. I think that almost universally people would agree that they would take Schindler's List and Jurassic Park over the post and Ready Player One. But yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. I would rather see Grandpa Spielberg make movies like this than have, us, than have him like – corner me at a holiday party and tell me about American history like Lincoln or all the other movies I've been making Bridge of Spies like <laughs> I want them to be fun I did have fun with it in parts but I, there's also like just like what the concept of this is is kind of like a little annoying to me it feels a little cheap I'm gonna give it a soft yes on the big screen and a no on the small screen so if you're hearing this podcast see it in theaters but if you miss that theatrical run i don't know if there's much reason to see this outside of that uh and my favorite intellectual property was 
Well, first they played a Prince song, and I got real excited. Like, oh, it's Prince. And then the dude rocks a Prince outfit, like when he's trying to decide what to wear to that yeah. club, and that was my favorite part. Like, I love that shit. So That's awesome. That was mine. Uh, Pat, we'll save you for last because it should be some positive vibes. We'll end on that. Mikey, let's, uh, <laughs> let's bring us down before Pat builds us back up. What do you say? I agree with uh, the things you said about seeing it on the big screen. I think that really plays a big part in my enjoyment of the few scenes I saw that I really liked from the movie. Um, I would hate to watch this at home just because there's so much going on on screen. You kind of want to see it blown up on a huge screen. But I thought the writing was kind of really awful. And I think the reason Spielberg got away with like Schindler's List in Jurassic Park in 93 is because it's a shared universe. Happened in the same world, so it was pretty easy to write that. Wait, what? But ready, ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I just think, like we also said, is the post, the thing with the post and Ready Player One in the same year. Like, you would never expect that from any other director, and I think he just kind of spread himself thin because I never want to see the post. I think that movie looks really boring. And I didn't really plan on ever watching Ready Player One because it just doesn't look like it would appeal to me too much because I'm not so crazy about 100% CGI movies, but I'll give it a soft no unless you're going to go watch it on the big screen like Pap said. Otherwise, I think you're going to really not enjoy it too much. So we got a soft soft yes, no, a soft no. Um, One last note, Samantha Artemis's birthmark looks just like the mexico birthmark from uh, grand budapest hotel uh but pat <laughs> what do you what do you say let's bring us home here oh, wait mikey who's your favorite character did you say oh i really like the gundam okay. thing flying around yeah yeah cool good choice yeah go ahead pat um shit uh i obviously i'm gonna give it a yes i'll even give it a hired yes um <laughs> uh, i don't know man i just Reading this was interesting to me because like I I never really read the Harry Potter books or anything like that so like this was really my first time reading a book and then having a movie made out of it that I was like super pumped to see and the fact that it was so different kind of was like kind of weird but at the same time like the first my first viewing of this like every action sequence or like anytime the avatars were on screen I had like the biggest smile on my face. So, if you're a video game fan or a movie fan of the 80s or anything like that, you'll you'll enjoy it. If you're a Spielberg fan, you're, you'll enjoy it. But, I think my favorite... Oh, also, I, this is kind of random. I wanted to say it earlier. I really like the chemistry between, like, Parzival and Artemis. I thought, like, when they were in the Oasis, they were, like... they were, It was really believable. But then, like, out of the real world, it was kind of, like... It wasn't as good, but anyways. Um, I don't know what my favorite character was. Like, the Iron Giant was awesome. I loved that he gave the thumbs up when he was going into the lava. It made me sad. It was sad. But <laughs> I, think, I think one of my favorite, I don't know if it was my actual favorite, but this one's sticking out because it's like a double dose. When, when Parzival first walks into... Uh, that big ass room after he first wins the key and everybody's like trying to take pictures of him 
And fucking, here comes Goro from Mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And first off, it's like, oh shit, it's fucking Goro. And then all of a sudden, the fucking little uh, Xenomorph pops out of his chest. And then she, like, basically chews up the fucking skin and pops out in his arms. I thought that was super cool. So just little things like that were, were... Dude, maybe that's the thing. So, maybe yeah, if you yes if me. you put your movie in a video game, you can just do whatever the fuck you want. Like you can have shit popping out of people's chests and blood out of the elevators. Like, no, it's just a video game. It's not real. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so that was a yes for you. Uh nice mixed bag from us. Uh a couple yeses, couple no's, couple not sure. So Spore Man's gonna tell you how you can get a hold of us. Pat Thanks for coming on the podcast. Always good to have you on. Thanks for having it's t- me. It's, been a it's just while. too bad there aren't any uh, big superhero movies coming out in April that we could have you back on for. <laughs> I know, man. It's unfortunate. Come on. Maybe it's not like the biggest movie of all time is going to come out or something. I wish, man. Well, we'll do- which I have yet to see. I have yet to see the trailer, for, or at least like the last trailer. So I'm like, I'm fucking nervous. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll definitely have you back for that little Marvel movie coming out at the end of the month. Uh, yeah, so indie flick. Coming up soon, we got uh, Breakfast Club, hosted by Mikey Toller, who made an appearance on this episode. And then that's pretty much it for a while, so stay tuned. Spoiler Man, play us off. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme. Our number is 903-776-4507. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Please don't forget to leave us a review by searching for movie spoilers, clicking on the cereal bowl, select the reviews tab, and leave us some stars and some words. That was spoilers. Yeah, I'll give you that. I would have absolutely hated watching this at home. This would have really ruined my day.